The Aramaic prayers of Jesus. How many of you know Jesus didn't speak English? Yeah, I thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> he spoke King James. Yeah, he spoke King James. <laughs> and, and in that not speaking English, what we have is an English translation from a Latin translation, from a Greek translation, from an Aramaic translation. That's like telling the story, telling a story to 10 people, starting with one person here and have them tell the next and have them tell the next. And by the time you get to the other end of the 10th person, it's a different story. And so every translator has their own biases. Every translator has their own desires as to what they want the scriptures to say. And the only real true representation of what Jesus said is the recorded Aramaic version. And the, and the recorded version is, is called the Peshitta. And those, were, those sayings were written down within the first century of Jesus' death. I mean, within a century, all of those things, including the Gospels, were written down. But most of the Gospels were written in Greek. The Greek language is significantly different than the Aramaic Peshitta language because the Greek language brings Plato into it. Separation of body, soul, spirit... And now you start bringing separation into the scriptures. And so that becomes a problem because Jesus didn't talk separation. Jesus talked union and oneness. The evangelical church has, over the last couple of centuries, made a significant shift towards defending their position. So all current translations try to defend the position of evangelical reality. I choose to reject the evangelical reality because my perspective is grace. Okay, There was a time when my perspective was the evangelical reality, though. And that evangelical reality brings, brings a sense of separation, brings a sense of isolation, brings a sense of unworthiness that God never intended. And so that's why we've been going back to looking at the prayer, the prayer, um, the Lord's Prayer from an Aramaic perspective. And just to recap for those who weren't here, let me, in fact, I have for you, for those who weren't here, this is one of two books we've been working out of, and you can keep that if you want. So we're working out of these books, that, that book, and then a book called Setting a Trap for God, which I love. Because setting a trap for God is about our preparing our heart to receive what he has to say. And so where we're at is we started out looking at three weeks ago in a general concept of how Aramaic is so different. One of the things about Aramaic is it's passionate. It's like you're so entwined with that reality, and, it's a, and it really has a heavy emphasis on community. What's the one thing the evangelical church emphasized more than anything? You and God. Community secondarily, if at all. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Yeah, I never thing. felt that way. No? You know, when, 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 you're in, when I was in an evangelical perspective, it was about my, developing my relationship with God. That was the preeminent foremost. That's what I was taught. Yeah, we really didn't work on it. Relation, horizontal relationships. We didn't work on horizontal relationships. It was all about no. 
Being yeah. right with God. Being yeah. right with God. There is very yeah. little being right with one another. Yeah. The one time Carol and I tried to teach emotional healthy spirituality on a, on a horizontal level, it kind of fell flat because oh. people weren't ready to hear it. They didn't want to hear it. Don't get between me and God. Your problem is your problem. But that's not how Aramaic was. Aramaic was about... Aramaic was about your relationship in the midst of community. And isn't Trinity plus us community? So how can you get to how can you get to to live just isolated me and God without I mean you can't have a fullness of you can't have a fullness of understanding who God is and who we are unless you understand community and our and our role in it. And so our father who starts out with an intimate, loving, compassionate presence, oneness. When we say our Father, we're talking about oneness, not only with Papa, the Trinity, but with each other as well. And part of what I think Holy Spirit is doing today is reconnecting people. The Holy Spirit is stripping the walls of religion and is connecting people. This oneness that we have, this union, with our Father, it should trigger a sense of joy. When we go, our Father, that should go, <gasps> it should be a sense of amazement. And Holy Spirit is developing that in us. I mean, that I, you know, 25 years ago, I didn't have any sense of God as a Father. God was always Zeus in my mind. And so then we talked about in heaven. Where's heaven? Well, it's really not a place. It's a state of mind. Marquez. What do you mean by sense of God? Pardon me? What do you mean, like, what do you mean by sense of God? A sense of God? An intimate, total experience. That God is present in all of my life and in everything I do. That's what I mean by that. You know, and when I, 25 years ago, I didn't have that sense. I had a sense that God was out here, not here. And so I believe God is here in all of us. He's not separate. He's not out there. The scriptures don't support that. So in heaven, this metaphor, it's a metaphor of peace and harmony. It's a state of being within us. It's that place that oftentimes the, the ancient church fathers talked about. It's the place of going inside to meet with God. You know, the, you, there's that movie, was it The War Room? where it's really about a closet, and you go into the closet, you go into the physical space, you know, that's not ultimately that sense. You can go there to get to the place of inner peace and inner connection with God. Separating yourself physically sometimes helps, but that's really not what we're talking about. In heaven, it's the place within us where God meets with us. Hallowed be thy name, we talked about. That's where we create that space. We pause, we breathe. I was listening again this morning uh, to a video I'm going to show probably in a few weeks. But it talks about, you know, when we're awake, we're in active beta state, which means we're constantly thinking, making decisions about what's going on in our day. We come home and we relax. We slip into um, beta state, which is, which is a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more. And just before we go to bed, we hit theta state. Theta state is that twilight area between consciousness and sleep where so much goes on, where the subconscious and the conscious meet, and, they, and anything that you've been trying to deal with at a conscious level gets reevaluated in your 
theta state just before you go to sleep. And so how many of you are familiar with the concept of listening to something before you go to bed? You know, as you're falling asleep into theta state, it's reprogramming your subconscious. So when the Lord says, be renewed by the, you know, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you have to renew that subconscious state because 95% of our life is dictated by the subconscious state. So how do we do that? We can read the word, we can meditate on the word, and we can go to sleep listening to something that is positive for us, and it will help reprogram. And then at night, we're in, uh, i got to stop and think, what was I, beta, theta, alpha, gosh, I can't remember the last date now, had it on my second tip, but we're in the least active conscious state when we're asleep, which means our subconscious is, that's where your dreams come from. What's that? REM. No, REM is just sort of the manifestation of, of that. I'll, I'll remember it later. But anyway. Isn't it gamma? Gamma. No, gamma's above, actually gamma's above beta, that they've been saying. I keep thinking the word zeta, but I don't no, know. No, no. I can't remember what it is. I'd have to go back. I'd have to go back and look. But anyway, so in your, in your subconscious state, your, your mind is relaxing. Your brain, your brain just kind of chills. And you come back then in the morning when you start to wake up, you move into theta state again. So the, the prime time to try to deal with things at a subconscious level to reprogram is just before you go to sleep and just as you're waking up. So that's when, oh God, what do you want to talk about today? What do you want to show me today? And you just begin to connect before you start getting physically active. Then once you're out of bed, you're back into alpha state and then you, once you leave the house, they say you're back into theta state. So the, there's those two precious moments where heaven, heaven collides with us, that sense of peace, that, that, that place within us collides with us. And as we contemplate, hallowed be your name, as I said, we're, we're just contemplating the creation of that space within us, recognizing that you know, the wholeness of God, hallowed, Hallowed can be translated holy, which can also be translated wholeness. The wholeness of God is within us. The holiness of God is within us. We don't have to work to be holy because he's already declared us to be holy. And as he declares us and as we accept that, that one song, that second song, all of those things that God has changed. He's breaking down religion, and he's breaking down that, and all of those things were, came out of works, you know, to a lot of, to a large degree. And so, as we realize the hallowedness of His name, means we come in touch with His holiness, and we create that space within where His name breathes. We just, even if you just repeat it, Jesus, it, it creates a sense of greater peace which is part of creating that space within. Too often we get too busy and we don't do this. And, and then last week we talked about, and we're going to continue to talk about, thy kingdom come. Kingdom translates God's sovereign counsel. It's not a physical place. It's a receiving of his counsel. God's sovereign counsel is available to us 24-7. And it's, it's, it coincides with this divine presence. If we realize his divine presence is always with us, then his counsel has to always be with us. And that's the beauty of it. You know, we talked last week, David said, where, where, where can you go 
to escape God. David says there's no place. None. Linda. Well, since I missed all this last week, so does kingdom in Aramaic translate to God's sovereign counsel? It does. That's how that goes? Yeah. That's its definition. Yes. It's God's sovereign counsel. It's not a physical state of play or place. The Jews were looking for a king. a king to come and establish a physical kingdom defeating all of their enemies. And Jesus said, you got it wrong, guys. It's just not going to happen that way. And so when Jesus was crucified, so many of them were so disappointed because they didn't understand the kingdom meant God's sovereign counsel in Aramaic. And when the Lord gave this prayer, he gave it in Aramaic, not in Hebrew. Because they were inclined in Hebrew to go kingdom meant physical reality, physical domain, physical place, not spiritual. And so that's why this, the state of divine counsel, God's divine presence, is so significant. So let me take you a minute to, if you will go, yeah, go ahead, jump in. So I think one of the things that I love is that when you think about the seven spirits of the Lord, yes, wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, all of those things are in us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we don't have to pray for wisdom and understanding. I mean, we can ask for it to unvelop because we might not step into it, but those are, those are, that's who we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the prayer, is, the prayer can really be something as simple as, God, awaken me to the greater reality of what's already in me. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is in us. The seven aspects, that's out of Isaiah, if I remember right, isn't it? It's in Revelation, too. In Revelation. It's also, a, and I think it's Isaiah 11 that talks about G, the root of, you know, all of the stuff about Jesus is already in us. And so let me read you something out of the Setting a Trap for God book. So when we sincerely pray, let your kingdom come, we petition God's counsel to reveal itself to us so that we can carry it out in our lives. It's great to have all the wisdom and counsel of God in us, but if we don't, number one, awaken to it, and number two, put it to, put it to use, it's not real good for it, or not real, not good isn't the word, it's not real productive for us, in a sense. And that counsel comes in different forms. Let me ask you this. How do you hear the voice of the Lord, Linda? How does he speak to you? What's your primary channel? My spirit. Okay. But, but do you hear it? Do you feel it? I, I hear him, but it's not... Word. Okay. I don't know how that makes sense. Don't I understand that? Karen, how does, how does he speak to you? An awareness. Yeah. A keen awareness. Yeah. You know that you know. I know that I know. Yeah. 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 Greg. I have heard it in my head like a ticker tape, okay. which wasn't a thought. And this week, I missed one time when he talked to me. I blurred something out to somebody, and they looked at me and said, why did you ask that? And I, I missed the opportunity, you know, because he threw me back when, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just, he prompts you to say something, mm-hmm. and you need to pick up on his prompts. Mm-hmm. I missed one this week, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, somehow there's a sense of knowing. For me, sometimes I just get a gut, a gut kind of intuition. Sometimes I hear him. 
And sometimes a song like this song, the second song today, when I popped that on, I went, hmm? And I looked and I listened because there was something in it for me. There's, we all have different forms of channels of communication with God. You know, and as we learned last week, as he's releasing his sovereign counsel, he's never going to contradict the realities of his kingdom, the realities of, I should say, the realities of his truth, of his character, what we know about him. And he's never going to tell us to go rob a bank, for example. I mean, you get that one, it's probably the pizza or, or desperation, okay? Um, or performance. Or performance, yeah. And so, so God, God's sovereign counsel comes to us through our natural form of communication that he has developed in each one of us, okay? Each one of us really knows how to hear God. Now, I will tell you that my training in how to hear God did not come from my Nazarene background. What came from my Nazarene background was fear, anxiety, stress, because God was the God of the lightning bolt. I ain't hearing nothing at that point when that's all I when I see God that way. But as I came back and reawakened to, to God in, in when I was 36 and began to get a strong sense of desire to see people healed and set free, now God started teaching me hearing prophetically and speaking prophetically. And he started teaching me about how his scriptures really are designed to set me free, not hold me in bondage. So that became sort of the launching pad for me to hear God. And now I hear God in, in multiple channels, but one of the I don't hear is in dreams. I don't hear dreams. I don't see dreams. I don't remember dreams. Others do, though. Then going on in this book, God's sovereign counsel, it is the recognition of the actualization of God's counsel through every one of us that manifests the kingdom here and now. As we begin to hear God's voice and we understand grace and we understand unconditional love and we strip them and us from us, from our vocabularies and mindsets, and we go into, I see Christ in you. I see Christ in you. I see Christ in you. You are awesome. You are awesome. You are awesome. As we begin that approach, we get even more revelation. Because, you know, we're going to take that revelation and we're going to use it to help people heal and to hear and set be set free, right? So that's part of that. And... In Aramaic, you know, we, as you heard, we heard a little seven-minute video last week. And by the way, that video is part of last week's teaching that's up on the website. You know, the Aramaic word of Malkutha, or Malkutha, which translates kingdom. If you want to translate it literally, remember, Aramaic, you can have a literal translation of multiple dimensions. You can have a metaphorical translation, and you can have a spiritual translation. The literal translation of Malkutha, kingdom, actually can also be, as you heard last week, translated queendom, because it was a gender-neutral word. It can go either male or female in translation. But that suggests a domain, physical kind of reality. So if you take it at a literal level, you're expecting a a domain, a, a physical place. But the reality is when Jesus used it, he used it to be God's sovereign counsel. I like that, because anywhere I go, then I can tap the kingdom. Right? I mean, if I'm in the Ukraine today, I can tap the kingdom. Physically, it may not be a place I want to be, but I can tap the kingdom because it's his sovereign counsel. So that's a good thing. 
Ken, by the way, Karen, you can ask questions anytime you want, because I'm, or or make comments anytime you want. That's what we do here. The M word. What's that? Say more about Mel. Oh, it's um, it's called Malkatha, M-A-L-K-U-T-H-A, and it is an Aramaic word, and it can translate realm, realm or reality. Okay. See, realm would be a physical. Reality is the council. So. We, the part, part of the problem with the English translation is it locks us into our mental concept based on our cultural perspective. And one of the reasons we're doing this series is to break out of that, is to be able to go, well, God, what did you really mean when, that, when, that, when, you, when you use that terminology? And the thing about kingdom, if it's a physical reality, excuse me, it's, an, it's a future event. Thy kingdom come, that's a future event. Your sovereign counsel be released now is a present event. So if I, if I translate physically, I'm saying that doesn't exist at this moment. Thy kingdom come is my saying it, does, it has not arrived yet, especially in my own life. But if I say God's sovereign counsel, release God's sovereign counsel, that's a now. Greg. I see that, what you just said, I see it is a now and in the future thing. Because the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. Yeah. But it is also in the future. Yeah. So it's, again, it's always present. Yeah, and, and the minute we delay the manifestation to the future, we're missing something. But we have to remember, it is now, it's the, it, it's the Greek now and unfolding. Linda. So as we read it now and as we're learning about this, this form of the prayer puts him in a small little box. Why? Because you can't, unless you're doing it in Aramaic. Yes. But as we know it, and as we've been taught, that boxes him in. Yeah, the English version. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. He's much bigger than the English version. That's right. part of the point I'm trying to get to. He's He's so encompassing. And as we realize it's so encompassing within us and within Linda and within Karen and within Carol and within everyone else in the room, simultaneously we're connected. And there's something about what the Spirit of God is doing right now is reminding people what I do affects you and what you do affects me. And so remember remember we talked about... um, Greg Braden said, if you can get 8,000 people on the same page in prayer, I'm going to use the word quantum. From a quantum perspective, it's probably not the right word from him, but from a quantum perspective, you can change the entire world if you can get 8,000 people in agreement. Now, why can't we get 8,000 people in agreement? (laughs) Because, at least in our culture, we've been taught it's me and God first. And so I focus my energy on developing this relationship to the detriment of out here. Light bulb? And as we do that, we're taught that we're never, ever quite there anyway. So we never have the freedom to expand to others. Yeah. Because we're all so focused on what we must do with the union with him. Yeah. Yeah. If you have your copy of the, of the, the, the book, go to page 19 if you brought it with you today. See, what this writer does is he takes every phrase and then he does an expansion from the cultural perspective how you could translate that. 
So, so like we're on page 19, it says, Thy kingdom come, which is a statement, essentially, Lord, create your, your reign of unity now through our fiery hearts in willing hands. Wow. Let your counsel rule our lives, clearing our intention for co-creation. We've been talking a lot about co-creation lately. Unite our I can to yours so that we walk as kings and queens with every creature. Desire with and through us the rule of universal fruitfulness on earth. Isn't that the thousand-year reign, so to speak? If, I mean, you could, you could see that. Your rule springs into existence as our arms reach out to embrace all creation. Come into the bedroom of our hearts and prepare us for the marriage of power and beauty. For this divine union, let us birth new images for a new world of peace. Create your reign of unity now. That's, a, that's, that's about co-creation. That's about letting him inspire us to be co-creators. And I don't have to throw fiery darts at anybody to make that happen. If I'm throwing fiery darts, I'm not living that. You know, and then, and I got to tell you, it, it, sometimes it's a challenge not to want to throw fiery darts, you know, because I'm, sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah, when you release a hand grenade, buddy. Um, so flip to page 20 then. It says, in the third line of the prayer, the holy space inside us is used as a workshop to envision and create and prepare for new creation. Um, it says, when, when it tra- the word that translates come includes the images of mutual desire and a definition of a goal and the old sense of a nuptial chamber. It's a sense of intimacy. Thy kingdom come is a reminder of our intimacy in us on earth. And we impact, because we are the sons of God that all of creation is waiting to transform the physical reality. And so... It's really, this whole prayer is about intimacy and refocusing on intimacy. It's not about assessing our moral failures. It's not about assessing behavior. It's about, where am I connected? Where's my heart centered with him? And can I use this as a reminder to sustain that intimacy? Thy will be done. It translates, Father's good desire or pleasure. Your, let your desire be done. Let your desire is different than let your mandate be done. Because if he's given us rule and reign over the, over the earth, for him to now mandate independent of us would be violating something he's already done. We know God doesn't contradict himself, right? He doesn't. So when he, when he says, let your desire be done, or when we pray, let your desire be done, we're asking Father to show us in his divine counsel what's in his heart so we can co-participate with it. I like co-participating. Much better than, as Paul talked about, you know, pushing, or pushing against the goads. Is that the phrase? Um, kicking, against. kicking against the goads. Because that's, that's painful. This can be very enjoyable. In fact, this lifts and elevates my heart. It elevates my emotions. And we, we talked about, and I've got it on the back of the board, which I'm going to revisit after I get back from vacation. 
moving into those higher emotions, those higher elevated states, releases energy for co-creation, releases our thoughts to co-create, okay? Which changes my reality and changes your reality. You know, there's enough power in this, in, 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 there's enough power in this room if we're on the same page to change this community. Because if it only takes 8,000 to change 8 billion, it only takes about eight to change 800,000. And that's this whole community. So that's part of what God is calling us to. Take a look at, um, let's see, let me go to page, go to page 23 in, the, in your book then. You know, when it, and it talks about thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When heaven meets earth, it, it's done out of compassion. When we look at what's going on in the natural realm, we do it with compassion. If we do it in judgment, then we're reading from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I'm not going to affect change. But if I can do it from compassion, when Jesus healed, often it talked about he healed, he was moved by mercy or compassion. Mercy, and it's the same Greek word that talks to, can translate either way. So, so Jesus, moved by mercy and compassion, would you say he changed Palestine? He changed Jerusalem? He did, didn't he? I mean, if you were one of the people that got healed, life changed. And not only did life change, but your whole outlook on life changed. You went from, you know, if you were the leper that was, that was healed in Matthew, unclean, unclean, to I'm a fully restored participant in the community. You went from isolation to restoration. Mm-hmm. So part of, part of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is, is to find the compassion and mercy and release it out of us into the, into the community. Sharon. Okay, so this is an experience that I had last Sunday. I was in a situation with some people, and it was very clangy, is all I can say. And uh, I was looking at this woman I know, and I kind of know her family a little bit too, and I felt sorry for her, but I was very aware I had no compassion. And it kind of bothered me, because I had no compassion at all. But I felt sorry for her. And I could distinguish the different emotions that I was having. And it was interesting to me, because... I didn't have any compassion. And I still, I'm, I've been asking, like, why am I not feeling compassion? I feel sorry for her. Yeah. But it may have triggered something in your subconscious that you reacted to. That experience might have triggered something that caused you to draw back mm-hmm. at an unconscious level, mm-hmm. which would be a barrier to feeling and releasing compassion. mercy and compassion. Usually, though, when I feel compassion, it's just an automatic. I feel like mm-hmm. it's the Lord. Like, I don't think about it. And this was very, I was very aware. Something triggered. Mm-hmm. That's my guess. Marquez, did you have your hand up? Uh, our brain is a list of options. So, and it's a list, it's a muscle memory. If you haven't been in a situation like to care about it, you then start the option to care about it. Mm-hmm. The fact that you noticed that you didn't have the emotions behind it then gave you the opportunity to make emotions by next time you get into different situations in the same mm-hmm. guidelines of that 
That's good. That's, That's good. Really good. It is. That's profound. I like that. Did you I see a hand up over here? Can, can you repeat it? I couldn't hear what he was saying. He was talking about, well, come up here closer up here so they can hear you if you would, Marquez. I'll let you repeat it because it was so profound. I don't want to misstate it. You don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess it up. Yeah, just right here is fine. Um, our brain has a list of options and we can't really make a soul kind of ability. So when you do something, you then have the option to do it again. If you've never been in a situation to make the choice with the emotion that you're given, then you can't necessarily pull it out of it. It's like, no, it's not, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like when you, when you put in a situation and you notice that you didn't have the options in your brain, so to speak, you then just by noticing, okay, I was different. I didn't, I didn't feel how I should have. I should have been more angrier in that situation. I should have been more loving in the situation. You then notice and you make options based off of it. So when you go into a next situation where you have the same, you know, God, not because no situation, none of them are the same. But when you have another situation with the yeah just just because it just because it came to the conscious awareness now makes it likelier that you will choose, choose next time yeah. to let that come up or you'll a, be aware of what is yes the, what is the wall that just went up yes and so now you even have time to ponder that because mm -hmm. you said you've been asking god about that mm -hmm. so now you can ponder what is the wall so to speak sure you know, I, when you say that, I, it, it, it cued me to a situation I'm having with a friend of mine who I'm very close to this friend, known her for 10 years, and she just seems to revel in this miserable, rotten life. Mm -hmm. And a few weeks ago, several weeks ago now, I was thinking about her, and I, and I was praying about her, talking with God, and it's like, I have worked with this person so much, so hard, to try to get him to focus on a better reality. And finally, I, it came to me that, that no, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pray that this person has all the misery and garbage she can <laughs> handle because God is the God of your heart's desire, and that's what she seeks. And in the past two weeks, I watched her go from being just a miserable person to a very miserable person. And I thought, wow, Stuart, you're really mean to, to pray that. And yet it's like now the ice is starting to melt, mm -hmm. that she's now getting to the point where she's so immersed in this miser misery that she's starting to reach out and say, there's something better. So I felt sorry for her. But I certainly lack compassion because you don't pray with compassion that somebody's life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul says turn them over to Satan so that they may be saved. So maybe that's what you did, turn to the world system or that mindset. And then... Well, another way to interpret what you did was you allowed the person to be as they are. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Don't start by your name, and I don't. I'm not in charge of the <laughs> What you did was you just accepted the person where they're at, allowed yes. them to be there, and you you, you stopped pushing against yes. 
yeah. yeah. what you're that's seeing. Good, that's yeah. Good. That is really good. That's good. Page 23. You get a couple gold stars. <laughs> <laughs> I get a half a gold star. <laughs> Second paragraph on page 23, in, starting in the third sentence or third line, says In Aramaic, the word, meaning will, carries the meaning of desire, a harmonious cooperation of movement that includes natural discipline. Remember, I told you last week, if you were here, a lot of Aramaic is not just words, but it's about motion and fluidity. And, and I'm going to show, when I've come to the end of this series, the Aramaic prayer of Jesus done in that, with people in song, with fluidity of body movement. It's all about a, a, a unity, a rhythm, and so it says, not only does it say um, that it includes natural discipline, but it says the kind of heart's desire, or this kind of heart's desire means that one's goal or purpose has moved beyond the mental or ideal stage. It has become so much a part of oneself that one need no longer think about it. There is a place as God works from within us through grace that compassion becomes just natural all the time. I'm not there yet. Okay. But it, it's there, and like we said earlier, these things are working their way up into our consciousness. Carol. That's like you and I talked last night, the butterfly. You know, yes. The caterpillar is a butterfly inside, and the caterpillar doesn't become a butterfly. The caterpillar emerges into a butterfly. It's not that somehow the caterpillar has to go somewhere and, and, and learn how to become a butterfly. The caterpillar is a butterfly. And when it goes through that metamorphosis, it comes out. Mm -hmm. And it relates to the world differently when it comes out. Yeah, yeah. And so Christ is in us. We don't have to become like Christ. Christ is in us. Yeah. We just have to allow Christ in us to emerge. Yeah, yeah. Remembering that this whole concept, this whole prayer is centered on the intimacy, the compassionate, loving presence of the Trinity that we are drawn up into that circle with. So when we come down to, we're talking about the desires. We're talking about desires from a parental perspective. God's desire as a parent, as the one who gave birth to us, is there, we know what his desires are by looking at the scriptures. I'm going to, show, I'm going to read to you out of this other book a minute. It says... Let us keep in mind that this is not our concept of God Almighty with whom we are communing, but it is Abba Father, a loving spiritual parental presence that abides within us. And what does a parent wish or desire for his children? The best, the best right? Yes. Let me ask you, what do you wish for your children? What do I wish for my children? What would our will be for our children or anyone's children? Number one, I think the first thing we would desire for our children is that they be healthy. Number two, we would wish that they be happy, prosperous, and able to get along with others. Number three, that they may have peace of mind. That's Third John 2. Right there. Pop is trying to manifest Third John 2 in our lives. Which is? I pray, I pray that, that you would be in health as your soul prospers. Yeah. And then number four, that they may understand others and relate well with others, that they can play in the sandbox together without fighting. Number five, that they may find peace and harmony. That, both of those are supported by the scriptures. Number six, 
not only a peace and harmony, not only amongst themselves as brothers and sisters, but also in their many other relationships. And number six, finally, we would wish that they may have the wisdom and maturity to journey safely on this planet and stay out of trouble. That's what we want for our kids. That's what Papa wants for us. Now, if Papa says, shows me something, and I choose to ignore it, I do so at my own peril, don't I? He's not going to mandate action. But if there's, if there's, Papa wants the best for me, and I decide I don't want the best, he's not going to take a, a ball bat and beat me until I come back to the best. Religion does that. I wish he would have a couple times. Yeah, but religion does that. Religion makes it, you make the wrong choice, and you got to pay forever for that. And so, this whole thy will be done is about, Dad, show me what's best for not just me, but for everyone I'm in relationship with, and then give me the wisdom to carry that out. Knowing that that's what grace is about. Isn't that what Jesus did? He saw, Jesus saw going to the cross, the best for everyone. And he chose to take a step to make it so available and so natural. We saw that first song that Godfrey talked about today, when I see the cross. The cross is still our anchor in grace. There's been so many who've gone away, have gone into grace and have just rejected the cross, rejected Jesus, rejected the counsel of the Scriptures. I'm not saying we reject the counsel of the Scriptures, but I'm saying we do have to look at perspective when we're looking at the counsel of Scriptures. So on earth, where's earth, by the way? What is earth? It's the cosmos and all that's contained in it. You are part of the earth. The earth isn't just the ground. It also is all that's in it. And that's us. And and in heaven, as in heaven, where's heaven? In us. There's no separation in the kingdom. There's no separation between us and Papa. So in heaven means all that's within us, All of this that we've been talking about leading up to this moment, all of that is there. And I get to release it on the earth. You get to release it on the earth. Marilyn. Is that because we're created in its image? Is that why it's all there? Yes. Plus, when Jesus went to the cross, he undid all the deception. We've never lost the image and likeness of God. We've never that's never been revoked. We've always been in the image and likeness. What Jesus, what Adam did was release deception. What Jesus did was destroy deception. And all of us, because of that, can tap into the Christness that's in us. I just think that's just so awesome. I don't know, maybe I'm just rambling, but that's just me. See, and one of the things this author talks about in, in setting a trap for God is one of the mindsets we have to begin to develop as we study the and we experience, because it's also an experience the Lord's Prayer, is we come to the realization that God is always for us. Never against us. Never against us. That's huge. You know, when I was in my God of the lightning bolt days, when I walked away from God at 20 going, this is a God impossible to please, he's going to kill me anyway, so I'm going to go have fun, I never thought he was for me, ever. I only thought he was against me. So then for 16 years, I go out and I just do what I want. And at the end of 
At the end of 16 years, I'm a physical wreck. Linda can, Linda remembers those days. I'm on multiple antibiotics for multiple respiratory infections, one right after another. Cracked, the, or not cracked, but separated a couple of ribs, coughing so hard because I was off doing my own thing, not listening to the counsel of God. It caught up to me. But look at you now. Look at me now. You never stopped praying for me. And here I am today. I haven't taken an antibiotic other than for an infected tooth in, tw in almost 20 years. Well, you can pray for me, Linda. <laughs> so that, that's something we have to lock in. When, when, my, when my conscious lo mind locks in on God is for me, and I keep reminding myself of that, there's a, there's a process when we habitualize something, it also changes our subconscious. So if I'm constantly locked in habit that seeing God is for me, not against me, eventually my subconscious believes that. And it modifies some of my programming. So even like Sharon, when you had that experience the other day, I am a compassionate person. I am a compassionate person. And eventually the subconscious locks, unlocks whatever was in the way, and bam, watch what happens. But it comes out of realizing our relationship is more than a set of rules. I don't know about you, but when I tried to pray the Lord's Prayer from a legalistic perspective, I got frustrated all the time. That's kind of what I was saying about that keeps us in a box when yeah. we do it that way. Yeah, when so when we awaken to the Aramaic perspective, it's like, Whew, it just empowers us because it's not about conforming, but it's about experiencing and releasing. Carol. So I have this thought. It might be a grenade, a cog in the wheel. Did Jesus have compassion on everyone he came in contact with? I would say that. Hmm? Well, it's yes. up for discussion. This is a... Yeah. Yeah, it's up for discussion. She just threw the hand grenades, so go talk about it. He did. Greg says yes. Well, he did, but it says that he uh, he didn't heal everyone, and he was moved with compassion on people. But that doesn't mean he didn't have compassion on those that he just were not physically healed by him. Well, let, let's let's back to Sharon. The only place that I can remember where he didn't heal was in his own hometown. Why was that? Unbelief. Their unbelief. Yeah. Did he have well, compassion on the Pharisees? And said, well, that's the question. I knew you were going there. Did, did he have compassion, but yet still... Did he do what talk? Stuart did? Although he turned the tables, so that wasn't like... Yeah. It wasn't like what Stuart did. He had, I mean, he, he was angry. But if God is always for us, that's never changed, right? right? So even when Jesus was walking the earth, he was always for them. So if he turned the tables over, there had to be an act of... Compassion. Compassion, because he's trying to catch their attention, trying to break a paradigm. When he didn't heal in his own hometown, I suspect it was because they weren't ready. And so can he, he... Can he be for somebody but not have compassion? Can God be for someone and not have compassion? I guess that's the question. I don't know. Or maybe our understanding of compassion is maybe a little different. Yeah, could be. But, it, but you come back to, if God is for us... Say that is to... is to just stop and go, well, wait a minute. Am I judging myself for not having compassion in a certain situation? And 
So I guess I just kind of want to open that possibility that, well, maybe the compassion didn't show up as I thought it should because of whatever. I, I just, I guess I want to open up to the possibility that perhaps it was okay. Um, but yet our, yeah. if, if our spirit is pricked that that's not okay, then... I wasn't, it wasn't pricked that it wasn't okay. I was just very aware oh. that yeah. I've had compassion yeah. for people in the past in a similar situation. And in this situation, I feel it was more like Stuart, where I felt sorry for her, which is a different emotion than right. compassion. And I almost felt like let, like what Stuart, it was almost like what you said. It was almost like she's chose this mess. Yeah. And I, But I didn't, but normally I thought I would have compassion and I just felt sorry. And maybe what you realize, maybe what, Maybe the Christ in you realize this person has chosen them. Well, and, and, and we gotta let them be who they are until they reach the point where they're yeah. I mean, Jesus' actions towards the Pharisees, he may still have had compassion, but he made a choice to try to break through their paradigm. That doesn't mean he didn't have compassion, and it doesn't mean we don't have compassion. It just means we we he exercised it differently than we would anticipate. Mm -hmm. And so maybe Sharon's compassion was there, just in a different form. Possibly. Possibly. I don't know. Just trying to reframe things a little bit. Yeah, maybe. So let me let me come back to on Earth as it is in heaven, as we talked about. Heaven can be translated cosmos, which is everything that's been created, right? which entire universe, including all of us. It also can translate from a metaphorical perspective, peace, harmony, and prosperity. And here's a statement. Ancient savants and prophets used the term heaven to indicate a universal state of peace and harmony. Heaven also refers to a personal consciousness of peace and harmony. There's a universal peace and harmony, but there's a personal choice for peace and harmony. And when, we, when our personal choice coincides with the universal desire of God for peace and harmony, now we can begin to have impact. Terry, could you explain the word savant? Um, no, but let me look it up for you. I mean, I, I have my own personal thought, but I will... Yeah, that threw a curve at me. Sure. That was used. Here we go. A savant is a person of learning, one with detailed knowledge in some specialized field, a person affected with a developmental disorder who exhibits exceptional skill or brilliance in some limited field. I suspect it's the first definition, one detailed, uh, one with detailed knowledge in a specialized field. Prophets in mystics, maybe prophets in okay. and priests, seer, seer, yeah, yeah. So. So it's a, it's a place that we can choose to live in in terms of back here with a state of harmony, a state of being, a state of oneness, recognizing our union and oneness. Isn't God peace? Isn't, isn't the Trinity harmony? Isn't God the prosperous one? I mean, he has created everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's ultimate prosperity. He owns it all. And he likes us to play with it. He gives us the opportunity to play with his goods his, that he's given us. And so that's, that's the essence of heaven and on earth. So we're in this state of, if, we, if, we, if we're locked into the physical, literal, 
we're missing the greater part of the heart of God. Heaven is not a place I go to. It's a, it's a heart position I'm in. That's me. I used to see heaven out there. I used to see me here. And I used to see, remember the, <laughs> oh, Linda left. Linda had that great, had a picture. It's the picture of the two cliffs. God on one side, me on one side, and the cross bridging it. She actually used that to help me walk in re, to my reawakening with God. I wouldn't use that picture anymore. I don't use that picture anymore. But in one sense, we can create that division in our minds. And when we live in that place of division, we struggle. When we realize we're in a place of unity, we're in a place of oneness, and that he wants nothing but the best for us, we can calm ourselves, we can, we can create that place, that space within us, where we just breathe. And as we breathe, you know, as we, we know around here, 10 deep breaths, you, you, act, you actually move into theta state. And then you're in theta state, you reprogram your subconscious. He's made it so simple, but we have complicated it way too much. I'm going to save, I'm going to save the rest of the prayer for next week, Stuart. I'm going to push you off to April. Okay, buddy? Because I want to finish this before I leave. And, That's totally perfect. Okay, so next week we'll finish the rest of the prayer. Greg. Doing something for somebody without compassion is works. Interesting thought. It's, it's just works. It's just works. If you have, but compassion is totally different. Yeah, yeah. And the world sees, sees them as the same probably. Yeah, yeah. Let me check in with Muriel. How are you doing? Muriel, can you hear us? Yeah, so, sorry, I just had to dig out my phone and kind of start it up again. No worries. So, so how are you <laughs> yeah, doing with was, all this? It was good. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I, um, right, starting right at the beginning with the songs that we heard, um, the part, the song, the line in the song about the harvest has come kind of blew my mind a bit. Yeah. The harvest has come. And here we are, the Lord, the Spirit is moving. He's moving across our great land, across the country, across the world. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I think our compassion, as we're talking, is, is definitely a strong portion and something that maybe we haven't experienced in years before. So in such a profound way. So, yeah, yeah, yeah still, still, uh, still puzzle along. <laughs> good, good. Thank you for sharing that. Anybody here want to share any final thoughts? I'm feeling better. Amen. You look better. You had a moment I, I, there, I'm didn't sorry, you? I lost it. You don't I have to apologize. Too much this morning, and I didn't take time to rest. You don't have to apologize. We just love you. I do, but it has but really I mean, nothing to do with what we were talking about. Go ahead. Okay, so two things. Someday in the future, I would like to address, like, if heaven and hell and kingdom and all that is different, like when we die, where we go, because that's been something that's on my mind, and I keep coming back to what John said, which was Jesus is wrapping his life around me. Like, I'd love to explore that okay. at some point. Send, will you send me an email? Because I'm, I'm going to be distracted for a few weeks, but yeah, I'll keep that email. Yeah, I'll probably forget too. So. Okay. But that's been just on my mind as we've been going through like all of this redefining sure. where things are and what they are.